There are very few things that investors can do that are free. But what about a podcast that delivers educational content on investing, saving strategies, financial planning, topical items of interest, and maybe even the odd wacky topic? Welcome to Free Lunch. Hosted by Greg Kremitsky and Colin Andrews of the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy, Free Lunch will bring listeners the firm's vast knowledge and experience in dealing with uncertainty to help clients achieve their vision through a deep understanding of what is important to them that requires planning, money, and time. Learn more and subscribe today at markets-work.com. Welcome back to the Free Lunch Podcast with Greg and Colin. And Greg, last week we had a discussion about things we've learned over the past quarter century, or in your case, 27 years and 65 days. That's right. Because it's seven days past our last episode to which you were 27 years and 58 days. Exactly. That's pretty good math, hey? That's not bad. Yeah. You've learned something over the last 25 years. I've learned how numbers work. Exactly. I hope so. We use numbers every day for various things. Actually, I love numbers, to be honest with you. I mean, I like working with numbers. And I know some people don't. How do you like? Are you a numbers guy? I do love numbers. We were at a presentation once with Eugene Fama, who we've talked about on this show. The father of modern day finance. Exactly. And he said, I've never met a number I didn't like. I kind of feel that way. Numbers are great. You know, they tell a story. The story that's being told right now, though, they're negative numbers in the markets. That's right. So what I find interesting these days, before we get into our discussion, is that everybody's focused on this negative market cycle. But why don't we start our discussion? So we're carrying on with things we've learned over the last quarter century, just because we ran out of time last week. That's right. Because we've learned so much, Craig. I hope that it would take more than 25 minutes to talk about everything we've learned over the years. Yeah, for sure. But one of the main things we've learned is that everything tends to go in a cycle. Yeah. And right now we just happen to be in a negative cycle. It doesn't mean that we're not going to come out of it. It doesn't mean that things aren't going to get better. It doesn't mean the sun's not going to come out at some point. So what have you learned in regards to cycles? It's funny because back in a previous life, maybe I had been in the business for about four or five years or so, and I was talking to one of the people in corporate finance at the company we were at. I said, what have you learned over the years? And his thought was, you have to believe in cycles and not trends. And I think his point was a good one. And it's not like, obviously, there are trends. There's been trends in technology. There's been trends in a lot of different areas over the years. But things still move in cycles. And whether you're talking about stock market variations or looking within the stock markets at performance of certain types of stocks, whether they're oil and gas stocks or financial stocks or utilities or commodities, it doesn't matter. They go through a cyclical process. Even if the trend is upwardly sloping, meaning that things go up over time, they still will go through cycles. And the most fundamental cycle that we deal with is the business cycle. And a lot of people have said, you can't repeal the business cycle. That business cycle, which you've also talked about before, is something that repeats itself over and over. And that has significant impacts for our business, for investors. And understanding that, I think, maybe helps people stay true to their investment strategy. Yeah, because what happens when we're in a cycle like this, a negative part of a cycle, I should say, and it really depends on what you're looking at. If you're looking at the last week, is that a cycle? No, not really. But it could be three months, could be six months, could be a year, could be five years, could be 10 years, depends on what you call a cycle. But regardless, 
If you've done some financial planning, to which we often talk about, that planning will take into consideration long-term returns, not short-term returns. And we tend to be very conservative in our rate of return, and we tend to overinflate our inflation numbers and overinflate our tax bill for those numbers in those plans to produce a plan that should take you through all kinds of cycles. And the biggest risk that investors have these days is abandoning that plan when things aren't going their way. Yeah, exactly. Falling into this trap of there's the fear of missing out. You talked about a few episodes ago, but there's the fear of being in. Uh, When you see, I'm just like everybody else. I come to work, I log in, I open up my quote screen, and it tells me whether it's going to be a good day or a bad day immediately. Just because it tells me that doesn't mean I'm going to make a different decision that day. And that's the hope. The hope is that understanding the cycles, understanding the volatility that we go through, and being able to, as you say, look past that to the plan. There's been lots of sayings that I've heard over the years. Keep your eye on the horizon and not on the waves. There's a variety of ways to say that same thing. But it really, the fundamental concept is keep your eyes on the long-term goal and ignore the day-to-day noise. When you accept that and you see the cycles that we've gone through and the cycle that we may be in right now, it makes it easier because what we're talking about is having peace of mind about your long-term investment strategy and therefore being able to deal with the day-to-day volatility. For sure. And I'm going to put it really, really bluntly in how markets work and portfolios. So if the markets are down, your portfolio is probably going to be down. Exactly. And if the markets are up, your portfolio is probably going to be up. And that's a fundamental truism of being well diversified and invested in the market. If your portfolio is moving counter to the market, then you're probably not properly diversified. Yeah, you've got some other issues there. The other thing that comes out of that, though, is when I was a younger person, I would often feel like I needed to apologize because the market was down. People would look to me like, why is my portfolio down when we went through the global financial crisis? And what I've come to realize, Greg, is I'm not going to apologize for market returns anymore. That's just the market. That's like apologizing because the weather is bad. It doesn't make sense. And instead, going to continue to insist that people look past those one-day time horizons. Because if you look back at the global financial crisis to today, the S&P 500 today is around 4,200 points. And the Dow Jones is around 33,000. The Dow Jones in March 9th of 2009 was 7,600 points. Even though we've gone through a negative month, a negative few months, arguably a negative two years, it's still almost five times higher than it was 15 years ago. Exactly. Yeah, and it's important to think, you know, as we're talking about cycles, as you pointed out, the cycles can last a long time. And very often, the cycles last longer than we think. Inflation became a big issue a couple of years ago, or it was probably a big issue prior to that, but people weren't paying attention. And as soon as people started paying attention, it became obvious when inflation hit over 8% in Canada and the US, oh, this is a big problem. And the central banks started responding to that by raising interest rates. It was easy to think, okay, well, they'll probably, gee, they've raised rates five times. We're probably near the end of this rate hiking cycle. Well, it didn't turn out that way. And the central bank is still on this path, possibly, of raising interest rates further. This is a year and a half later. So we don't know how long this cycle is going to last, but 
whenever you go through particularly a bad cycle, we tend to think that it's going to be over sooner. And that's just because when you're suffering, every day makes it feel like you're suffering even more. And you hear this sometimes when people will say, if the Dow is down one more day, I'm selling out because they reach their breaking point. But you know what? It could be another day. It could be another month or it could be another six months. And you just don't know, but you have to believe that the cycle will come around. For sure. And I know that this quote is out there many times, but when things appear to be at their worst is actually when you have your highest expected return. That's right. So now I've got some data to share. <clears throat> I'm still struggling with this COVID cough a couple weeks into it. Anyways. You say that as we're sitting across from each other here. And- well, I don't believe I'm contagious <laughs> anymore, but just a little, well, anyways, I'll spare you the details. Okay. But the details of the data are that, and this comes from Dimensional, in the U.S., every single day, there's a 47% chance of having a negative return, which means there's a 53% chance of having a positive return every single day. Now, if you take that out to a month, that becomes a 37% chance of being negative, a 63% chance of being positive. Okay. You go out to a year, it's a 23% chance of being negative and a 77% chance of being positive. And you go out three years, it's a 15% chance of being negative and an 85% chance of being positive. So it's just all probability. That's right. And two things come out of that. One is being invested over a period of three years. There's a strong likelihood that you will have a positive return. And on the other side of that, which is the hard part for people to accept, is that there's still a 15% chance of a negative return. For many people, it feels unacceptable. Well, gee, to be invested for three years and still have a negative return, it's possible. As we've talked about probability and possibility over a number of episodes, you have to be prepared for the possible, even though you want to invest for the probable. Again, I talk about learning over the years. That's one of the things that we keep learning over and over again. Anything can happen. Last year, with bonds being down as almost as much as stocks in some countries, that's a highly improbable event. But clearly it was possible because it happened. I love that joke. There's a TV commercial where these two insurance actuaries are sitting on a front step and say, what's the chance that an elephant will sit on that car? And an elephant sits on the car and the guy says, well, 100%. Of course, when something happens, the chance of it happening is 100% because it happened. But let's dive into the human nature, which is the next part of our discussion for today of things that we've learned in regards how cycles work, but then also how humans behave and deal with them. What do you got to say about that? This ties into our many conversations about behavioral finance, behavioral economics. And that is this, how do you deal with behaviors and some of the cognitive mistakes that people make in their thinking, cognitive biases? One of the things I talked about last time, how when many of us got into the business back in the 90s, it was exciting. The thought of trading stocks was exciting and it's got a bit of a gambling aspect to it. And it's so much fun and basically how I learned that, okay, well, trading stocks is fun, but only when they go up. The bottom line is, and having dealt with many people over the last many years, is that most people don't get rich by being invested in the stock market. And I'm not suggesting that people don't build wealth, but they don't achieve great wealth, starting with the kind of savings that we all have or being able to put $20,000 a year into your RSP or something like that. Most people get rich by creating something, by 
creating a business and creating a product or a service that's valuable to other people. And that's why you'll see many self-made millionaires being the entrepreneurs who have taken a risk, laid it all on the line, gone out and built successful businesses and achieved great wealth. But most people don't do it, saving $20,000 a year in their RSP. It's not to say it can't be done. No. And what I was going to say is the ones that do it the best are the ones that have a regular savings plan, a regular investment plan, and who don't mess around with it. Just keep doing the same thing every year, putting money away, investing it broadly, and not fiddling. Some are going to get this quote and some are not that are listening. Blue Horseshoe loves Anacott Steel. Remember that quote? I do. From the movie Wall Street. This is Gordon Gecko and Bud Fox, and that was what you just described. People believe they have an inside strategy on a company or they know more than everybody else about an investment. They'll listen to their gut in some cases about being invested or taking a shot at things. All that is nonsense. How many times have you heard somebody say, well, it just doesn't feel right or I got this gut instinct. I should do this or I shouldn't do that. Or worse yet, my spider senses are tingling. Terrible. That is not a way to make investment decisions. We know of somebody a few years ago whose gut instinct was to get out of equities when equities were way down, and they lost out on a million dollars of return because their gut instinct was leading them to that decision. So I have a feeling that that person has some pretty thick hindsight bias looking back and saying, geez, I shouldn't have done that, or even worse, maybe some self-attribution bias and saying, why did you let me do that? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Basically, People, all of us, will make some bad decisions, some good decisions, and some average decisions. And on the whole, we're all average, making an average number of good and bad decisions. And your point about listening to your gut is like, investing is not a gut decision. It's a rational, it's a mental decision, and it's a decision that we hopefully will make through some analysis, some aligning investment strategies with goals, and then sticking to them. I think a big part of that is having someone to talk through your decisions and your decision-making process. I think that's where our job has evolved to in many cases. It's not coming up with stock-picking ideas, but it's listening to other people that say, hey, do you think I should do this thing? And we help them go through the thought process of, well, why do you want to do that? How does that fit into your long-term plan? Sounds boring, but it's very helpful. Absolutely. I think the other thing too is it's important for people to really understand these biases. We talk about behavioral biases a fair bit. But then the interesting thing is, I mean, I don't want people to think we're lecturing because we all have them. I've been doing this for 27 years and 65 days, and I still have them myself. I still set aside a small amount of money to just play with because I'll have a gut feeling or a good feeling about something. And I might be right and I might be wrong. But it's something that I'll take a chance on it, but I'm not going to bet the farm. You're speculating three to 5% or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's room for that. And I think by doing that with understanding, basically just allows you to say, okay, well, we all have this. I can't turn off my mind. I can't turn off my opinions, but I'm not going to risk my family's future or all of my investments on an opinion because my opinion could well be wrong. But it allows me to play with it a little bit, test my opinion. And I can tell you over the years, I've been right sometimes and I've been wrong sometimes. And if I had bet the farm on any of those things that I wanted to play with, 
I had an equal chance of being very wealthy or being broke. That's the bottom line. Well, we talk about that with clients, the get rich versus lose everything portfolio. Get rich is, yeah, you go into these highly concentrated speculative decisions and you could absolutely hit it out of the park. Now, in your case, you say bet the farm. I know you're not telling the truth, Greg. You don't have a farm. That's true. You grew up in Regina. That's right. Yeah. In the city, (laughs) not even in the country. You bet your house. Yes, that's right. (laughs) The problem is that in that get rich, lose everything scenario is that there's the opposite. You could lose everything. We've unfortunately seen a few of those over the years where people have literally lost everything. That never feels good to watch as an observer. And I can't imagine living with that decision every day. And that ties into what I mentioned last week was just avoid making big mistakes. It's okay to make the odd little mistake just with something that is not going to affect the ultimate outcome of your plan. But don't make big mistakes. Yeah, and that leads into a thought here. If something sounds too good to be true, it most likely is. Yeah. This is a lesson I've learned and watched other people learn over the years. When you are making investment decisions, and let's say you're interested in a stock because it has a dividend of 12%, you have to ask yourself, why are they paying 12%? I mean, if the rest of the market is paying 2% and they're paying 12%, why would they do that? Probably because there's a lot of risk in that stock. And they're trying to entice dollars by having a higher cost of capital or a higher payout. And you wouldn't normally look at that investment decision if it wasn't paying that 12%. That's right. And I've also learned that over the years that when something is paying 12% and a similar company might be paying 6%, either the company is very often in big trouble, as you say. There's a reason why they're doing it. And there's every likelihood that the dividend will be cut to be more in line with similar companies. Because on the one hand, they maybe are trying to attract investment, but once the shares are out there trading in the open market, it doesn't help the company one way or the other. But what hurts them is paying out a large portion of their cash flow in dividends when they don't need to. So if a company is being uncompetitively generous with their dividend, there's every likelihood that that won't be a continuing situation. For sure. Now, that's a good one because we've seen that a lot. There's a lot of people, myself included, at times when you get starry-eyed about a dividend that turns out to be extremely short-lived. We'll look at a real-life example, not recommending them, by the way, but Crescent Point at one point was a $43 stock. It had a oh, almost a 6% dividend. And I remember what well, we've shared the story before. Somebody said, uh, why would I sell my Crescent Point shares? The dividend's paying my mortgage. And he said, well, you should probably sell those and divest them and reinvest them in a broader allocation just to reduce your risk. And of course, those shares went down to 88 cents at one point. I mean, who cares about the dividend if you've lost 99% of the capital? So don't get caught up in that. Maybe that's going back to last week's discussion on shiny objects a little bit, but here's another one for you, Greg. Stop worrying about what things your friends or neighbors have that you may or may not have. This could be sports cars, cabins, or cottages, or trips, or whatever. How does that fit into your plan? Yeah, that's right. And actually, I was reading an article which referenced Charlie Munger, who, of course, is the key Warren Buffett partner at Berkshire Hathaway. And he said, boy, of all the deadly sins, envy is a waste because it doesn't get you anything. So of all the things you could do that are theoretically wrong, envy is one of those things that you just end up any further ahead by doing it. So it's an interesting way to look at it. And we won't go into some of the other deadly sins that might have more benefits attached to them. (laughs) 
it's not going to change your life what somebody else has. And, and if you have your own plan that's geared to your own family or a particular situation, other people might have their own plans which are, don't have the same outcome possibly that yours does. I've heard an interesting story about Berkshire Hathaway a few weeks ago. Do you know there was a third partner? I did not know that. Yeah. So back in the day, the beginning of this venture for Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, I can't remember his name right now. There was a third guy. They each owned one third of the company and he was way more aggressive than Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett. And unfortunately, leveraged himself to a point where he had to sell out his portion of the company back to Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett. Wow. Who are now, of course, billionaires. So when you talk about the behavioral bias of regret, that would be fairly significant for this person. Well, I don't think he has regret anymore because he's since deceased. Oh, okay. But he's alive in story. (laughs) Yes, right on. Maybe that leads us to our third item and last item for today is that all the emphasis seems to be on the wealth side, but without your health, it doesn't matter. Exactly. I heard something at a presentation that said, never skip leg day, which might resonate with some people, might not. But the whole idea is that People that work out and lift weights tend to focus on their upper body and tend to get really buffed, but they maybe don't do legs and they tend to have these little chicken legs. Like like they're riding a chicken or a turkey, yeah. So it is a very common thing in the fitness world to say never skip leg day. And I think this applies in your health and wealth area as well, right? Yeah, for sure. And there's a variety of things we've all heard over the years. Well, what are some of the things you should do to live a healthy lifestyle? One of them is get enough sleep. Easier said than done for many people, particularly as you get older, it seems that more and more people have difficulties getting a full night's sleep. But it's critical. It's critical for your mental health, for your memory, for all sorts of things, and your physical health as well. The Blue Jays have a Japanese pitcher. He doesn't speak English, so they're interviewing him after a game. He said, yeah, I didn't get enough sleep the night before. He only got 11 hours. And they said, well, how many hours do you usually sleep? He said, 14 to 15. (laughs) That might be a bit excessive. Good for him. I think the recommended is in that seven to nine range. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, sleep's important. Another one that's really important that I've come to embrace last few years is drinking water. Right now, I drink three to four liters of water a day. That's a lot. It is a lot. But you know what? Three to four years ago, that would have been like, I don't know, one to two glasses a day. For the amount of time that you and I have been in this business, we're sitting at a desk all day. And it's easy to not drink enough water. And yet I find when I start drinking water, it becomes almost addictive. You drain a glass, you're ready for another glass. Oh, drain a glass. Okay, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I've been sitting there day after day for many years, and it works better when you drink more water. It just does. You feel better. Your body is two-thirds water. You need to rehydrate, get the the water in those cells, and it makes everything better. You think better. You feel better. That's a good point, because I'm sure somebody listening here is like, why are these guys talking about sleep and water? It's actually to make sure that you are mentally alert in making good investment decisions and other decisions for your life. What's another health thing that we can focus on? Eating a balanced diet, which we've equated to being properly diversified. Yeah, so you got pizza, burgers, wings. That's a balanced diet. You've covered off all the major food groups right there. (laughs) It's important just going through my time in this business, I've been better and I've been worse. 
at watching my health and eating balanced diets. And I can tell you that, as I say, when you eat well, you feel better, you make better decisions. You do, because you're not bogged down by lethargy or whatever else might come from a really inappropriate diet. So that helps. I think the last one in that section is an important one to me is getting regular exercise, whatever that might be. There's a lot of mental benefits to even just going for a walk or just spending some time on a treadmill or just lifting weights and whatever it is that you choose to do. Now, we're going to be talking about a lot of this stuff on October 19th. We have a presentation and it is a health and wealth presentation. We're doing a presentation on the investment piece, but we also have a guy named Jay Schmidt from JMH and Company talking about tax planning how important that is for your financial health. He's a great speaker, yeah. And we've got a couple of, well, health people to talk about, what are they talking about? Health. Health stuff, health (laughs) benefits. You know, I think one of them is talking about, well, anyways, I won't spoil it. No. I would say anybody that's interested in learning more should RSVP to our October 19th presentation. It's an evening presentation. And it's one we did pre-COVID and it had a great turnout. And it had great feedback. And so we wanted to do it again. Yep, absolutely. So take a look at it. Let us know that you'll be coming and uh, we'll make sure there's a place for you. Exactly. All right. Well, that's it. 27 years, 65 days in a nutshell. (laughs) Just like that. Is that it? (laughs) That's it. We wrapped it all up. Yeah, you bet. Well, that's good to know. Thank you for listening to the Free Lunch Podcast hosted by the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy. Do subscribe to this podcast to get more realistic insight on investing or to connect with one of our talented partners, please head on over to markets-work.com. We'll see you next time on the Free Lunch Podcast. The CIBC logo and CIBC Private Wealth are registered trademarks of CIBC. If you are currently a CIBC Wood Gundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Private Wealth consists of services provided by CIBC and certain of its subsidiaries, including CIBC Wood Gundy, a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc. CIBC Private Wealth is a registered trademark of CIBC used under license. Wood Gundy is a registered trademark of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Colin Andrews and Greg Kraminski are investment advisors with CIBC Wood Gundy. This information, including any opinion, is based on various sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy cannot be guaranteed and is subject to change. CIBC and CIBC World Markets, Inc., their affiliates, directors, officers, and employees may buy, sell, or hold a position in securities of a company mentioned herein, its affiliates or subsidiaries, and may also perform financial advisory services, investment banking or other services for, or have lending or other credit relationships with the same. CIBC World Markets, Inc. and its representatives will receive sales commissions and or a spread between bid and ask prices if you purchase, sell, or hold the securities referred to above. CIBC World Markets, Inc., 2023.